Good morning, everyone. Can you hear me? Am I coming through? Dirk, where's, where are my boundary lines here? Am I okay? Okay, I can go anywhere. Did you guys see that, hey? Hey, hey, hey? Let's just see. Anyway, good morning. If you're a visitor, hey, my name is Luke, and it's a privilege to be able to share a message with you today. Thank you so much, Mike. Thank you so much, Grace, for leading us in a prayer moment for moms. Just a special burden for all the moms who are with us whose children are not with them today. Just want you to know we're thinking about you as well, and we pray God's richest blessing over you and His nearness to you. I mean, really, his, it's God's nearness to us, that it's His presence with us that makes the difference in, in all of life as Christ followers. And I pray God's nearness to you, moms, today. Um, uh, absolutely, today as we remember and we celebrate the role of mothers in our lives. I've got a special message for you as we look at the first mother in the Scriptures today. Uh, the first mother we're going to look at today's message is entitled... Eve and the promise of God. And um, yeah, let me tell you about this message. We've been, Lauren and I have been part of a little uh, theology group that meets. We're studying theology together, um, a group of us in this church. So uh, at five, every, every Thursday morning, 5.30 till 6.30 in the morning we meet. Um, and we are grappling with, we've just finished first five book of the, books of the Bible. And now we're about to launch into the next few. But uh, as we were studying this, there was something that came across, it's Andrew Wilson who's put it together, that I'd never seen before. And it just, it's something it jumped into my heart and I, and I thought, that's what I want to talk about on Mother's Day. And so today I want to look at Eve and the promise of God. And I want to share with you something that I'd never actually seen before. Perhaps it's familiar to you, I don't know. Um, but uh, today we're going to see something in Genesis chapter 4 that I think is quite special. And mom's especially relevant to you, but everyone, this is for all of us, wherever you're at, this is something we're going to live into and something we're going to learn from. And so, um, yeah, just to take you back, um, you, maybe you saw the origin slide there. We, if you're a visitor, we spent the first seven weeks of this year in our preaching series looking at the book of Genesis, only the first three chapters, as we looked at our origin series. And in that series, we grappled with the kind of mega themes of life. Who is God and what is God like? Uh, who are we as human beings and what on earth are we here for? Work, rest, and purpose. We began to explore what went wrong with our world. And how God is going to put it to right. And I don't think there's a sadder story in all of the Bible than Genesis chapter 3. If you've got your Bible, won't you make your way there with me, Genesis chapter 3. Although the facts of the fall are recorded with um, uh, really an alarming amount of brevity. It's very short, all that happens in there. But what we see in those chapters is all of the human suffering and sorrow, all of human death, all of the, every sad thing that has ever happened in the history of the world can trace its way back to this chapter of the Bible, to this moment. It tells the story of how brokenness started in our world. It tells the story of how our relationship with God was severed, how even the relationship between men and women drastically was changed forever. The relationship between human beings and their work was changed. The relationship between human beings toward our world was forever changed. All of this loss, but tucked away in all of this loss is this little, well I say little, this powerful promise of hope of what God would do. In the world, and that's where I want us to go and to look on to look at it today. As it's Eve, in fact, who latches onto the promise of God. I, I'd never seen this. So have a look with me. Uh, let's read together Genesis chapter three, verse six. Follow along in your own Bibles um, if you like. It's a great way you can highlight and uh, you can you can uh, highlight stuff that sticks out to you. Let's have a look together. 
Genesis chapter 6, we're going to read excerpts between, I mean chapter 3, we're going to read excerpts between 6 to 15. And so, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that there was a tree, it was a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and she ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too right? Um, and then what happens in the story is this, is this was the forbidden thing. This was the one thing in the whole of the garden they should have done. But what happens is just after they make this decision, they walk away from God. What happens is God comes looking for them. I mean, this is the most astonishing thing in the whole world. God comes looking for them when they blow it. He doesn't avoid them. He doesn't pull back from them. He presses in towards them. They hid from God. For the first time in the Bible, human beings are hiding from God. But suddenly uh, they're hiding because suddenly they're aware of their nakedness. And God seeks them out. In verse 11, let's see what God says. And this is God speaking. And God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? Now God knows. This wasn't like a shock. And he was just talking this through with them. Um, And the man said, the woman whom you gave me, he just goes into blame someone else mode, right? The woman whom you, God, you, God, God, you gave me this woman. And it was she who made me do it. I mean, he just blames everyone. She gave me the fruit of the tree and then I ate it. Shame, poor me. I'm such a victim in this whole thing. You can just see this guy. Uh, verse 13, and then the Lord God said to the woman, what is it that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent, the serpent deceived me. And then I ate it, right? And then we read verse 14 together. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat the dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman between your offspring, the word offspring can go seed as well. It's a, it's a theme word that goes right throughout Genesis, right throughout the Old Testament. Between your offspring and hers, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Let's pray together. Father, as we look at your word, as we look at what went wrong with the world, but we also look at the promise that you gave right at the birth of sin in the world, you ushered a promise of hope and life that would come to the world. God, would you speak to us? I pray you would speak to every one of us in this room or on these screens, God. Come Holy Spirit and minister to us personally from your word, I pray. Amen. This was the moment. All of the evil, all of the suffering in the history of the world can be traced back to this moment. This is literally the single most destructive act in the history of the world. I've often wondered how much did they understand in that moment? How much did they really understand in the moment of what an impact their actions would have on the future of the world? At the very least, there was a massive um, amount of immense loss of, of failure because of what they've lost. Now today, as we zoom in on Eve, let me just be clear. I'm not zooming in on Eve because she's somehow more guilty than Adam. No, I'm zooming in on Eve because today's Mother's Day and we're looking at the first mother in the Bible. So everything that I'm saying about Eve here can be attributed to Adam as well in terms of the negative stuff, although not all the positive stuff uh, that I'm going to be speaking about. So does that make sense? Can we just bank that? Um, as we see here, we zoom in on Eve. Can you imagine the sense of guilt and regret that she carried with her? The sense of helplessness at being able to do anything to fix the mess that she's made. Remember, I'm speaking to Eve because it's Mother's Day. Adam, you could apply everything to that I've just said as well. Have you ever done something that's so terrible that the moment you did it, or this kind of set, the moment the realization sank in of what you'd done, you just kind of, oh, I remember there's that song, uh, it's like a very old song now by Anna Nalik. Um, the song's called Breathe, 2 a.m. And uh, maybe you know it, maybe you don't, but there's this line in the song where she says, um, 
uh, something about how life is, we're like cars on a cable. You, you just wish you could, you could lift the train, but the train has jumped to the tracks. You want to go back and you want to undo. So it's life's like an hourglass glued to the table. All you want to do is turn it over. Uh, everything in us wants to hit the rewind button now, but, but you can't hit rewind. This is that moment in Eve's life where she just looks at what she's done and she's helpless to do anything about it. I don't know if you've ever had a moment like that in your life. Well, you just wish you could take it back. But it's done, and the rest is history. But in the midst of this, God moves toward them, and God gives a promise. Zoom in on the promise with me, verse 15. And I will put enmity, uh, sorry, one, one slide back. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his head. Heal, right? So something's going to happen here. God, you know that the first promise or the first consequence, uh, the first curse that comes in the garden is not to Adam, it's not to Eve, but it's to the Satan in the garden. It's to the serpent. And the promise is of, of his ultimate demise. He will crush your head, right? There's a crushing death blow that's going to come to the Satan in the story here. But it will come at a cost to the one, to the snake crusher. It, it, it will, there will be a temporary loss. It will be a, a strike on their heel, which is not fatal, which is not final, which is not ultimate, but it's going to come at a cost. But the, the defeat that will come to Satan will be a crushing ultimate defeat. It's a promise. And God is speaking this promise to the Satan. I don't know if you ever saw that. The first promise that comes in the Bible after the fall is to the Satan in the garden. God is addressing it to the serpent. But Eve is listening in. I mean, literally, excuse the pun. She is eavesdropping. I couldn't resist. She is literally eavesdropping. It's not spelt the same way. So, um, so it's, that's not where it originates. I had to go and check. But Eve is literally, um, I'm terrible at spelling. Um, Eve is literally listening into this promise. She hears this. She, she knows she's blown it. She's messed up. There's this, but, but she hears this promise of a snake crusher that would come. And this promise centers in on the woman. It's the descendant of the woman that is promised through her. I, I don't know if you picked that up. It's very clear. The descendant of the woman uh, that is going to come. The seed of the woman is going to come. And Eve, who is filled with regret, who is filled with remorse, she latches onto this promise. And she understands as she reads that there, that through her will come a descendant and he will crush the head of the evil one. Somehow this will, will uh, undo the damage that's come through her act. And I don't think she quite understands just how, um, just how it's going to work out and when it's going to play out. But she latches onto the promise that God is going to do something to put this to right. I, I never understood. This is what was so fresh for me. I never understood just how, how powerfully she latched onto this. And so take a look with me. Flip over the page to Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4 is one of the darkest chapters in the Bible. It's, um, it's the one we know famously about Cain and Abel, right? It, it, it shows us what happens is in Genesis 4, uh, human beings are now outside of the, of the garden. They're outside of the Garden of Eden. And now sin uh, is now at work within the hearts of human beings. And it's working its way out in the world and in their relationships. And so we see the chapter where Cain kills Abel. Sin's curse is working its way out in our lives. A famous story in here of Cain and Abel. But this chapter is bookended in the most powerful way two moments of life and hope that come in the story. Have a look with me. Genesis chapter 4 verse 1 and 2. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, 
And she, that's Bible language, for they went to the island of, I want to lay you, right? Um, and uh, Adam knew his wife Eve, the Hawaiian island, um, that is. Uh, and uh, she conceived and she bore Cain, saying, I have produced a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now, Abel was the keeper of sheep, and Cain was the worker of the ground, right? Now, look with me at this text as the way it centers in on Eve. I mean, Adam is there, but he gets a very kind of minor role. Look here, it's, it's Eve who, who, who both conceives, bears, names, and praises God for the birth of her son Cain. You see that in the text there? Adam knew his wife Eve, and she conceived, she bore, and she named him, saying, I have produced a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore. The whole text centers in on Eve and, and what's going on here. Now, now, it could just have easily been written from the perspective of Adam, but it's not. It focuses in on Eve. But do you know why? Because Eve has latched onto the promise that she heard in Genesis 3. And Eve names her son Cain. She says, I've gotten a son with the help of the Lord. And she names her second son Abel or Chabel, which is, which is uh, the Hebrew word for vapor. Vapor, breath. When, you, when you, you blow against the glass, then it mists up and then it disappears. Life is fickle. Life is fragile. Life is here one moment and then it's gone the next moment. Now, I don't think she, by any means she's prophesying the death of Abel, but she's looking at the result of sin coming into the world, how fickle and how fleeting life is. And then the rest of the story from verse 3 continues through to, I think, verse 24 uh, continues. And it, and it leaves behind Eve. And now we track with the guys in the story. Um, I must be honest, guys, it's not the high point in male history. It's a chapter that is filled with envy and murder and polygamy and revenge and then boasting about all of those things, right? It's the chapter in which Cain kills Abel. Lamech uh, boasts about all the terrible things that he's done. It's a very carnal time in human is- history. Because why? Because sin is working its way out in the world. But what is interesting is in our Bibles, it starts with Eve and it ends with Eve as well. The chapter is bookended with Eve. Take a look at verse 25. And Adam knew his wife again. They went to Hawaii again and she bore a son called Seth, right? And For she said, and this is Seth's name, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Chabel, instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. And to Seth was born a son, and he called his name Enosh. And at that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. Again, it's Eve who bears and names and praises God now for her third son, Seth. And she names him God has appointed. And in doing so, what she's doing is she's recognizing the hand of God in fulfilling the promise. It's such a beautiful name when you understand what it means to her. She's saying because Cain is disqualified, because Abel is gone, God has appointed, God has appointed another seed to carry on the promise. You've got to imagine what this roller coaster ride was like for Eve. I mean, it starts where, where she's at the heights of being God's literal handmaiden. He, he literally makes her with his own hands. She wakes up, it's God, it's Adam, they're there, they're there. God has made her. And then the dismal depths of the fall and the guilt and the shame and the regret and the utter helplessness at being able to do anything to fix it. Can you imagine the sense of failure and loss that she's carrying? She'd say, we messed up. We literally had paradise. We had the presence of God and we blew it and it's God and it's gone. But I heard God say in the garden, I heard God say in the garden, 
He would send a snake crusher. He would send one who would undo what we did in that garden. And she'd say, I grabbed that promise and I stitched it to my heart. I latched onto it with everything I have. It's the only thing I could do. And she grabbed it. And then she had Cain. And you remember what she named Cain? God has has promised. She said, I have gotten a son. Finally, yes, God's going to do what he said he was going to do. Finally, it's going to happen. I've gotten him. Now it's here. You know, you can see what she's... And then, imagine the disappointment when she heard that Cain had killed Abel. Not only did she lose her boy, but she thought she, the promise died with her. The promise literally vaporized with Abel's death. Cain is disqualified and Abel is gone. And then comes a third son. But God is faithful. God has kept his promise. He spoke these words to me when I was at my worst. In the worst moment of my life, God spoke a promise that he would send someone and he would undo what was done and he would sort out the snake. The, the, the snake. He would send the snake crusher. And I thought it was gone. I thought, I thought with, with, with Cain, we blew it again. I thought it was over. And then God appointed another one, Seth. You, you just see, she latches onto this promise. It's like she's saying, God is faithful. We're blundering through this thing as human beings. We're messing it up left, right, and center. Genesis chapter 4 is all about that. But God is faithful. God has appointed another. And she latches onto it. And she holds onto this promise. And so she said, I'm going to praise God that he is faithful and he is going to do what he's It's just amazing. You see that there? She has clung to the promise of God all her life. She'd messed up, she'd blown it, but God had promised and Eve clung to it. And and it's with this promise that a ray of light comes to all of humanity. Do you see the last line of that verse we just read, chapter 4? The last line of chapter 4. At that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. It's like with that promise, with the birth of that boy whom God had appointed... So comes light into the story. So, so comes hope into the story. At that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. It's through the birth of this appointed son that hope comes to the story. I want us to see here that it's Eve holding on to the promise of God. It's remarkable because she starts out in the story as a baddie. I mean, she does. She fails miserably. It's, it's, it's all the destruction that comes through her. But then in the midst of that, God sends a promise and she clings onto it. It came, the initial failure in, in Eve and Adam's life came through, I always thought that, I've often looked at Genesis and seen that the, the primary sin was selfishness. Primary sin was kind of, was, was, was a, a turning in on itself. I want for me what God has. But, but I, I don't, having gone through Genesis again as we've been working through it, I think the primary, the first sin, and yes, selfishness is there. Don't get me wrong. It's a major part of it. It's actually just a mistrust of God. It's a failure to, to trust God for who he really is. Did God really say, can you really trust God? It's, it's a doubt of who God is at the heart of this thing. And a failure to trust God that leads to all of this destruction. But yet, it's the very opposite of that thing that, that we see modeled in Eve's life. It's Eve who failed to trust God, now clings to the same God as she trusts him and she holds on to the promise. As God comes to her in grace, and it's this promise that transforms the whole story. Now through God's promise and her trusting of that, she's literally carrying the gospel seed, the gospel in her physical body into the world. That's the promised snake crusher, the evil defeater comes through her. She who blew it has now become part of the solution 
to the world. It's glorious. I can't believe I'd missed this for so long. And through Seth and through Seth's descendants and through Seth's descendants, descendant, descendant, etc. Ultimately, the seed would come and then be planted into the womb of Mary, who would also be another woman, uh, interestingly enough, holding on to the promise of God, of what God would do as God comes and God um, brings the promised snake crusher. And ultimately, he comes um, All through the generations, this seed, this descendant comes through generation to generation and ultimately culminates in the coming of Christ. And then he comes and he defeats sin and he defeats death and he defeats suffering. All of this is, I mean, I don't know how much of this Eve properly understood, but she understood something of God has promised to to, to fix this. And she latched onto it. And I want to say today, yes, I, I mean, this is clearly applicable to Mother's Day and to child rearing and to raising children in the image of Christ. But it's, it's so much broader than that as well. We're all called, I mean, Eve is literally carrying the gospel seed, if you will, in her body. And then she brings that into the world. But all of us are called to carry the gospel and to bring that into our world. You and I are called to carry the gospel and to birth it and give it life in our world. We're called to do all that we can to influence others towards Christ. We're called to take the gospel. It's upside down way of doing things. It's, 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 it's right side up way of doing things, if you will, and working it out in our life, in our relationships, in every facet of life. And when we do that, we're working that promise out in our world as well. She's an incredible example of someone who trusted God, but someone who realized very quickly that life could not be found in her own choices to, you know, so many of us feels like life in our modern world in particular is, do you ever do those choose-your-own-adventure books at school? You know, you like, like to, if you're on page 14, then, you, then if you want to go up this way, turn to page 21. And if you want to go this way, then, you know, life feels a little bit like a choose-your, for you and me, it feels like a choose-your-own-adventure as you make decisions to move yourself toward the good life, whatever the good life looks like for you. For so many of us, life has become about decisions that I make to move myself toward the good life. Eve learned very quickly that that is not where life is going to be found for her. She she lost herself in the great plan and promise of God. She, she said, I'm not going to be living my own, choose your own adventure to work my way towards my own version of the good life. I am going to live out the promise of God and what he's going to do in this world. And that's what my life's going to be like. You see, all of us locate ourselves in some sort of narrative in the world. You, you, you close your eyes. You, 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 have you been to a shopping mall and you've seen you are here as that big arrow that locates? We've got a little, something similar to that, you know, and then you can, you, you, you know where you are and then you can know where you need to go to find where you're going, right? I think all of us live out a narrative. And at the center of that narrative, for many of us, is ourselves. And this pursuit of the good life that we're trying to achieve, that wasn't Eve. Eve, Eve, Eve's journey was located in God, you said you're going to do this. This promise is coming. This is what my life is going to be like. And I'm going to live my life to bring that into this world. And I want to put that before you today. As someone who blew it, and then someone whom God moved towards in grace, then someone who located herself in the promise of God. 
That is how life came to our world. How are you doing at locating yourself in the great story of God in the world? Or are you swept up in our cultures, kind of choose your own adventure as you move towards some version of the good life. Ultimately, what narrative are you living out of? Are you living out of God's great story of what God is going to do in the world? Because, because then what we do is we, we face moments like pandemics totally differently. We face moments of difficulty in business and finances totally differently. Totally differently. It can be fatal. It can be. It can be. It can be. Um, it can lead to total. What's the word? Um, despair. When these things happen, and we are living for our own little pursuit of the good life. But if your life is located in the great gospel story of God bringing hope to our world, and you see your life as as being placed into that narrative, and you've got a part to play in that. Then you can take a long-term view, and that's so much more securing. And that's exactly what Eve did. Eve is an, is an example to us of when grace comes to us. There's, there's nothing you could do. There is no sin that is too terrible that God cannot redeem you. But also, it's this incredible invitation to locate your life in God's great work and in God's great story. Let's land and pray for us. The gospel is that all of us have blown it. The gospel is that all of us has blown it. But God has moved towards us. We're so quick to blame Adam and Eve. But we've all failed to trust God, haven't we? Don't we all fail to trust God? We all go our own way. And now through God's grace, we have got a chance to be a part of God's great act of renewal in our world. As we give ourselves to outworking the gospel through our lives, as we lose ourselves in God's great story, what story are you living in? Is your story located in Christ's story or is Christ's story located in your story? Just take a second. I'd love for us just to spend some time in reflection as the band leads us in song shortly. Eve's last life teaches us this. No one is too far gone. The most guilty, most destructive act in all of human history, and yet God moves toward them straight away. No one is too far gone. God moves towards us all in redemption. And lastly, we need to see the gospel as the great narrative that we're living in. Like Eve, we are those who believe the promise of God and work it out in our world. Come, let's stand together and let's prayerfully reflect.